Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hey, gentlemen. Well, coming up in this episode, we're going to discuss some uncomfortable truths about using Linux. And then we're going to introduce a new segment called Will It Nix? And this week, we're throwing Nextcloud in the Nix Blender. We'll tell you all about it, and then we'll round the show out with some boosts and picks and more. So before we go any further... Let's say time-appropriate greetings to that virtual lug of ours. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello, Chris. Hello, hello, guys. Hello, Brent. Hello. Hello. Shout out. Shout out to all of you. We got the uh, mascot in there. We got Dan and others that are in Fosdom right now, but hanging out in the Mumble Room with us while they're at Fosdom Live going on. Pretty great, quiet listen and all that. Details at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash mumble. That's where you can go, despite how I say it. You know what I do say? And I say it with pride tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. If you haven't tried this out yet, I'm going to have to start judging you. It's it's kind of like really not good. I mean, don't tell me if we see in, if we meet in person. Just pretend like you've tried Tailscale because I don't want it to wreck my day. It's so good. You know, it's like um, quintessential software. It is fundamental connectivity that makes it possible for all your devices to connect directly to each other wherever they are, all secured by... That's right. Uses the noise protocol, and it's really, really fast. You can use it initially for VPNs, but then pretty soon you realize you're just building your own mesh network that rides on top of the internet, crosses data centers, lands, carrier net, and all of that. It is intuitive, fast, and great. Go try it for 100 devices and support the show at tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. Well, we're getting pretty close to scale. We are five Sundays until Yikes. we hit the road. That's uh, coming up quick. Yep. All right. And I just, you know, I, I basically put that line item in there for Brent. Thank you. So yes. he knows how close <laughs> we're getting. <laughs> My anxiety just went up for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I just got to get everything finalized and then you won't. When you when I tell you how many Sundays and you have everything figured out, you'll be like, oh, that's great. Break it, break it to the cats now. I'm seeing some excitement about NixCon North America on the general internets. It's getting around. People are asking about live streams and whatnot. I don't know exactly what their plans are, but we have some live stream plans that we're going to talk about uh, for our trip down there. So we are leaving in about, you know, five weeks. And when we're on the road, I want to do a couple of live streams. So on the 12th, the 14th, the 15th, and the 17th, we're going to have different streams. I'll get them all figured out on the calendar and whatnot. But I tell you that now so you can go get a podcasting 2.0 app because they're going to be lit live streams and we'd love to have you there so our idea is to kind of capture the moment on the drive down before we get to scale. We'll do a live stream and a hangout with everybody. And then the morning before NixCon, I'd like to capture our thoughts, take any questions people might have, um, which also be before scale, just to kind of get capture the state of the mood and all of that. And then on the 15th, which will be um, we've gone for a couple of days, you know, our day, we've, we've seen it. We've got an idea of day one and day two, what that's like. We'll do another live stream in the evening to kind of give everybody our first impressions of how Scale and NixCon are going. And then um, we'll do another live stream on the 17th for Linux Unplugged itself from Pasadena, perhaps from Scale. And uh, we'll put that all up on the calendar soon. And then, of course, we've also got our lunch, which is going to be on Saturday the 16th, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for all those details. Yeah, I've seen some folks uh, coming in there. Looks like it should be a good turnout. Good. Yeah, the Yard House is a great facility for that. So if we can get an idea of how many folks are going... Ahead of time, we'll call them up and give them a heads up so that way they know. But it's a big facility, and it's going to be during lunch. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to take a moment and thank the audience. We reached our goal. 
to, uh, to make scale possible, which is just incredible. Thank you, everyone. We did a little celebration after the boost a couple of episodes ago, but I just want to take a moment and say thank you again. Uh, and you're absolutely welcome to continue to send those boosts in to get us to scale because uh, we'll either put it towards the trip when the, if the price – I kind of expect the price to dip in March myself um, be- because the bank short-term lending program goes away. <laughs> and I think that's going to be kind of rough liquidity-wise, and I think it's going to cause Bitcoin to go down in price. So you're welcome to continue to boost in. We'll put it towards there. Uh, either way, if price doesn't go down, we'll put it towards the trip. Um, and uh, boost any questions you have you want us to answer about NICs, NICsCon, scale, anything like that. And then last but not least, one more thing to make mention of. We do have that scale matrix chat. So if you're going to be in Pasadena, if you're going to be at scale, we have a link to a matrix chat room for people to organize, I guess, whatever you do in chat rooms, but hopefully nicely. A chat. Oh, in a chat room. How about that? And to mention it again, we had some listeners meet up from FOSDEM. Uh, we have a nice little matrix room where folks have been organizing. And I woke up to some lovely photographs of people who met our dear friend Carl was there as well and met up with some folks. And listener Freak VH, uh, I think, sent a message that I thought describes it really well. So at the meetup earlier today, says it was great to meet everyone, although I have no idea who all of you are now. I forgot to match the online handles to the faces. Now, uh, here's how he describes some of them. Thank you for showing up, a red backpack guy, bearded UK neutrino guy, Romanian entrepreneur, Danish offensive but in a good way guy, and Codeberg cheap UPS guy. Oh, Dutch bow tie and CentOS guy as well. And uh, Freak was then described as dandy Dutch guy with whom I'm totally not jealous of his outfit. So if you're interested in some Fosdom videos, they have that up as well, which I would say they've got a processing status page, which is like... okay. They know what they're doing. So I think uh, we can see those videos soon. It's a serious operation. I always am much better at remembering everyone's online handle than I am their actual names. Very much so. Um, and so I will probably, if I meet you in person, call you by your handle if that's how you it's, introduce I mean, yourself. That's what crystallizes, right? That's where you started building the relationship. Yep. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, on my tombstone, um, I would like it to say he was slightly offensive, but in a good way. <laughs> how do you become that guy? That seems like how you want to be described, right? Because that means you're pushing it a little bit. You're making people think. And it's a good thing. That's, I feel like that would be a goal for me. That's aspirational. Let's shift gears. We get so excited about all of the great things in development in Linux. Um, and, you know, BcacheFS and Pipewire and NixOS are just a, to name a few that we think have so much potential in this landscape that we've talked about just semi-recently. But with everything we love, it is not so perfect that it cannot be criticized, as a wise man once said. And there are uncomfortable truths about using Linux full-time that you will have to deal with and be okay living with, in my opinion. And some of them are the ones that hit me the hardest. And I wanted to share them with you guys today, and maybe we could just have a little group sesh. I'd also like to know if the audience has any that they think are just, I don't know if compromise is the right word, but it's kind of what's on my mind. It's like this, is, this uncomfortable thing you just have to live with to use Linux. I really feel like... Still today, despite everything Valve has done, gaming on just actual desktop Linux can be not always great. And when it gets you, it can get you at the worst time. So this Friday, Dylan text messages me. He said, Dad, I'd love to get some time to play some CSGO. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to say no to that. And I said to him, uh, on, you know, on your way home, stop by the studio. Have Hadia drop you off. And we'll hang out here for a couple of hours. And we'll play some CSGO here at the studio. 
So bring your laptop. And uh, okay, great. That sounds fantastic. So he gets here. And I, you know, when, as soon as I, as soon as I tell him to come, he's about 25 minutes away. Coming from school, you can stop by the studio. I open up Steam. I start downloading CSGO. And, you know, sure enough, lots of updates, right? Of lots course. of updates. And it, it runs and it runs and it runs. And then it has to rebuild the shaders. And then I, you know, so I go through that a couple of times, actually. And we, he gets in and we try to get into a match and it fails to connect. We can get in the lobby together and we try to get in and it fails to connect. Okay. All right. Well, let's try, let's try a death match. All right. We'll go into a death match. Okay. This is working. Great. Okay. We're in. We're finally playing this. We've been wanting to do this for weeks. It's finally happening. And I go to turn, you know, just to turn my perspective. And as I'm turning, and this isn't a full screen game, my mouse leaves the window and goes to my second monitor and I click and I'm now I'm clicking on my second monitor, oh, no. which then takes the focus away from CSGO, which causes CSGO to minimize. And now I'm just sitting at my desktop getting shot. So then I, you know, I'll tab back into CSGO and I go to move. And this time my mouse goes off into the other screen <laughs> and you can't move more than, you know. 30 degrees before my mouse goes off the screen. <laughs> I try turning up mouse sensitivity, but that's only kind of a, a temporary workaround because inevitably your mouse sort of drifts and it's off the screen. Of course. All right. So I look it up. Seems like some people are having this issue on Wayland. Oh, okay. It's a Wayland issue, I say to myself. That's what I get. All right. Log out. Log into X. Here we go. Fire up CSGO under X11. And now my no menu bar is flickering along the top the entire time. Flicker, flicker, flicker. Flicker, flicker, flicker. <laughs> and the frame rate in CSGO... It's probably 12. Okay, all right. So if I go into the settings and I put it in windowed mode and I put it back into full screen mode and I apply it both times, then I can get the gnome flicker to go away and my, my frame rate returns. Okay, that's solved. Mouse problem? Not solved. Oh, no. Not solved. So now I just have more problems under X than I had under Wayland. <laughs> and I'm looking up all these things people do. I try these different fixes and different commands. Nothing solves it. I'm just, I'm on, you know, current gnome. With multiple monitors to the right and left of the top, using Waylander X11 with an AMD Radeon like 580. It's like an old ass video card, and uh, this it just can't be done. I have legit disabled screens before in a similar situation, and just been like, "Well, I'm playing this game on one screen, and I guess I'm turning the rest off." It's one of those moments where I'm like, I don't think if I was on a Mac or on Windows, I would be doing this, and it really sucks because it really makes a first person shooter unplayable, and so. I'm sitting here fighting with my Linux box. Does that mean Dylan won? Well, he just had to keep on playing without me. You know, and it's like, well, this was our moment to play. Uh, and I never really, all I could do is just, I turned up the mouse sensitivity a lot <laughs> and just tried to keep it in the center <laughs> of the window. That's some discipline. Okay. Yeah, it was, not, it was not great for me. It was not great for me. And I just, I have the worst luck. And what I've realized is Linux works great if it's an appliance for gaming, like the Steam Deck. But uh, on a desktop, in my opinion, on a, a machine you use for, like, work, if you don't game regularly, these things just kind of atrophy. And if you game on the regular, you kind of fix them as they come up, but they accumulate. <laughs> yeah, right. If you, you don't you, game. You need to be on that roll-in release or you'll just get overwhelmed. Yeah, you basically have to just keep up with it, you know, game every week or something like that. And I game on that machine once every six months. And every single time I sit down to do it, something doesn't work. And that's just for me, you know, that's my, that's my experience. There's a lot of edge cases. And I think it's tough there too, right? Because in a lot of our Linux software, I don't know, we have uh, so much choice and we kind of get to pick. And that's one of the things we love about it is we get to assemble our system together and decide the cool software. We have a lot of nice options. Right. And perhaps but, if I'd gone Plasma, maybe that weird GNOME menu thing, or maybe even the mouse wouldn't be a problem, right? Maybe it's a GNOME thing only. I don't know. Right. 
but with games, I don't know, you unless you're just playing games that you're picking and you're happy, you know, ignoring some games, you're at the mercy of uh, yeah, you know, yeah. your son, your friends, what other people want. And so like it can go really nicely sometimes when they pick games that are super well supported. And other times it's real awkward. Yeah. You're stuck and you're like, well, I couldn't, I didn't know you wanted to play that. And so Fortnite came up and um, Fortnite has anti-cheat. And I was really proud because Dylan figured out how to install the heroic installer. And then he figured out once heroic was installed, how to link it to his Epic account. Yeah. And then he figured out how to install Fortnite. He got his Fortnite completely installed and then he hits the play button and it launches and crashes. And he's like, dad, what did I do wrong? And I'm like, nothing, nothing. <sighs> They just rolled out anti-cheat recently, and now you can't play. And so I set them up with GeForce Now streaming because I already had that. I have I have like some grandfathered legacy account, which is super dope sweet because it's <laughs> a low price and has like all the video cards. That's great. So he's playing on that. But, you know, of course, when he's in full screen, the plasma menu is sitting there flashing at the bottom <laughs> of the screen the entire time. It doesn't kill his frame rate, <laughs> but it's not flawless. <laughs> and it's like, I'm sorry, dude. You know, yeah, I know it's annoying. I'm sure. I'm, and, oh, oh, and I, they do offer like a Chrome web app you can install. So I did that for him thinking maybe that would do better because uh-huh. then he's not doing it from the web browser, uh, which maybe it would. I don't know. But the play button doesn't work in that one on Linux. It works on Mac OS and Windows. But on Linux, when you click the play button in their web app, in their NVIDIA GeForce Now streaming web app, you click the play button, nothing happens. So he's doing it through the browser. It's just these little compromises, these little ugly truths that are just just not as smooth as you'd like it to be. And, you know, it is what it is. It's not the end of the world, but it's a reminder of, you know, if you want to do these kinds of things on Linux, and maybe this would be a problem on Windows too, like this, you don't game for six months and you fire it up and it's broken. I don't know. I've never, I have never used Windows long enough to know. But maybe, you know, maybe I should just stick to the Steam Deck. You know, maybe I should just stick to the Steam Deck if that's what I want out of a machine or stick to a Nintendo or switch, you know, a console. Yeah. I mean, they have taken time to uh, solve a lot of those problems or at least uh, anticipate them. And then also they kind of manage making sure it uh, it stays together consistently for you if you're not doing it yourself. This is a particular target environment, right? Yeah. And then the other thing that I think is an uncomfortable truth that I want to talk to you guys about, uh, and I bet you not everybody in the audience is going to agree with me on this, but. I think there are times like right now when a new product comes along like the Apple Vision Pro and Linux users can feel a little FOMO. Because if you've if you've got yourself a nice Linux desktop and maybe you've got yourself a graphene OS, I'm just describing myself here, but you've got yourself a graphene OS phone and you're kind of bringing it all together with things like Nextcloud and Image for the images and all, you've, you've rolled your own cloud solutions. Yeah. Something like the Vision Pro comes along, and if you were to spend that $3,500 and get that piece of kit because maybe it would change your, the way you work, you kind of have to roll all that stuff back because the way you get data into devices like this is through iCloud and the Apple ecosystem. So then you kind of need to be in the Apple calendar system, and you kind of need to be in the photo system. and You, kinda, you really can't really sync with Graphene OS, and you, you actually need an iPhone even to use. So you kind of going to need to roll back to the iPhone, right? And it, it kind of rolls back all of these sovereignty moves. You can't just adopt the device. You got to adopt the ecosystem. Yes. Yeah. And I think that leads to a bit of FOMO because the Linux user, your option is to now participate in this ecosystem if you're not already or miss out. And once you start participating in this ecosystem, uh, it's sticky, right? I mean, I have a Graphene OS device. I still have an Apple Watch on my wrist. Yeah. It's a very sticky ecosystem. And I think it's, I think also it, it we feel a little left out when it happens. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Am I am I off on this one? Has this crossed your mind at all as this 
all this hype around the Vision Pro and all that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'd be really neat if it was just like a generic device that you could uh, interface with, even if you had, I don't know, less functionality and I could just bring in my Linux screens or something like that. I'm obviously, you know, if if the convenience, if the if you can do real workloads, it would be very compelling, but it feels totally inaccessible without a large a large switch until I mean, I could I guess I could just get a MacBook, but it would feel incomplete if I didn't also then as you're saying, like have the rest of the services, have photos I could look at on there easily or would I be trying to like second class it, but I mean, it's already difficult on an iPhone and probably it's going to be probably more difficult on the Vision Pro at least for a while. Brent, have you felt any of this? I bet not, but um, maybe you have. Well, I think I've gotten used to missing out, actually. Um, because ah, okay. for those of us who like really try to stick to what we believe in in terms of privacy and uh, the Linux ecosystem, it you just you just get used to missing out on all these things, and eventually it comes around. Like there are some applications on Linux that have totally beat its commercial uh, competitors, but uh, usually takes a few years, right? And when it comes to some special hardware like this, sometimes it just never comes, despite the efforts, you know, the best efforts of community members and different businesses and stuff. I'm thinking Linux phones. <laughs> how, long, how long have we been waiting for that? Yeah. So oftentimes it feels like that's part of the compromise that we have to do to really stick to some of our ideals, and it sucks. Can I make a weird comparison, Brent? And you'd be the authority on this. <laughs> It feels a bit like a restrictive diet sometimes as a Linux mm. user. Like there's like <laughs> Maybe certain, that's why I'm so cozy with it. <laughs> right? Like there's certain items that you just are kind of going to have to just restrict from your tech diet if you want to stay as much with <laughs> Linux and your own sovereign deck tech stack. Yeah, and that way you're kind of making an active choice at times. You're like, well, I could, I could get interested in that. I could dabble and uh, maybe I won't. This is an area that's hard for me because I'm, I'm big on – potential where things could be going kind of stuff that's fun to play with before it gets there. Yeah. That's a, that type that tingles for me, but also I live in such a small space that something that could give me virtual screens seems extremely compelling, but I've done the math on this and I just, I don't want to roll back my transition to graphing OS. And I feel like you can't even really use this thing. You got to scan your face with the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, right. You know, yeah. It's yeah. I think you did nail the metaphor though, because like, I feel like my life is better with those compromises. But I don't get to have like the ice cream sundae, you know, which is some of this new fangled tech and, and maybe pushing the envelope of how I work, how you work, you know, in the RV would be better with some of this new technology, but you're giving up, you know, you're necessarily giving up something. Sometimes it's just your bank account, <laughs> but other times it's like, you know, some of the deep, uh, privacy concerns we've been talking about for years now around the Apple ecosystem and Google ecosystem and all of that. So it's it's such a hard decision to make because as geeks and nerds, I think we get super excited about this new technology and the possibilities and just what it can do. But uh, yeah, sometimes choose to just get left behind, which is sad. The uh, I don't know. There's a few different facets of like, is it a new gadget? What exactly you're doing? I think the most awkward part or most difficult part is when it's when you know that the Linux path is not going to present like the simplest or most efficient solution. Like if you were just motivated purely by trying to do X and for the cases where Linux just isn't the natural choice, I think those are always the places it's like the most give. And, you know, if you're just, if you're busy and the busier you are, 
you kind of just need that to work. You just want it to be a solved solution. Yeah. I mean, you can often do those things on Linux, and then sometimes there's advantages where you end up learning more about how all the pieces fit together because you've had to sort of tweak them and understand the pieces to even get it to work at all. But you can't do that for every task all the time necessarily. But I feel like it's not – we're not always losing with Linux. Like there are many examples where we do win first. Uh, And I I feel like we shouldn't be too sad in this conversation because oftentimes we get some technologies and some utilities on the Linux desktop but also just on Linux in general that is years ahead of what other platforms get. So we should be careful not to get too sad about this. You know, you give some, you get some. Warp.dev slash Linux dash terminal. Yeah, the Warp terminal is coming to Linux. You know, it's only been available for the Mac. It's a modern Rust-based terminal that has AI built in. And I've been watching from afar, wishing we could have it on Linux because it is really sweet. And a little birdie tells me it is coming to Linux later this February and there's a wait list you can sign up. Warp.dev slash Linux dash terminal. There's a launch party. There's going to be some Linux sticker pack swag. It's a modern command line interface that has tooling you need, like AI built in. So when you forget a command or you need like a little refresher, maybe a template, you can smash that hashtag and the AI, the warp AI will suggest the right command for you. It is also built on top of Rust. And you know, we love that. It's super fast and performant. It has a modern text editor right there so you can edit your Nix config or your YAML file or your Python script. And it has a collaboration feature so when Wes has to save the day, that makes that really straightforward. And then also there's this warp drive feature that I think could be really great because you can save your parameterized commands like, you know, Wes, what was that exact command to get the free space on ButterFS, the actual free space? You could just share that with me. And I can run it later, but we can share it with Brent and I because there's a team feature as well. It's a great user experience. It's also great for developers and engineers who have to work in the terminal and they want something modern with things built right in and they want it built on top of a really robust infrastructure. That's Warp Terminal. And that's why I'm really glad it's coming to Linux. At least that's the rumor. (laughs) Go find out. Something tells me a little bit later this month, you'll have the answer. Warp.dev slash Linux dash terminal. Great way to support the show and check out a brand new product coming to Linux. They're really trying to reach that Linux user base. And this is it. It's warp.dev slash Linux dash terminal. Our dear mini Mac in the mumber room has an uncomfortable truth for us. Yeah, you were. My problem is often with uh, complicated PDF files where you have some formulas, where they have fill in stuff and stuff like that. So they mostly work, but often the most important things don't work. So I really struggling with that. Yeah, integrating with that business world. I have been using with fantastic success. Alex on Self Hosted found this. Um, and I don't know if somebody recommended him or what, but it's called Sterling PDF. You throw it together in a quick Docker Compose on a VPS or wherever, and it does, I think, dang near everything like the Pro Acrobat stuff does in a web app, including it'll do OCR text detection. It can do editing. It can add remove watermarks. It can split PDFs. It can convert things to PDFs. It can adjust the colors. It can You can edit fields. You can remove change metadata. You can add page numbers. I mean, you can crop it. You can compress it. <laughs> it goes on and on. 
Oh, and it started as a 100% chat GPT-made application. No way, really? <laughs> That's what the readme said. Well, it's a pretty lean, mean Docker Compose. And uh, what I've done is I now put all of my Docker instance, or whatever, images, whatever, containers, I put them directly on TailScale now. Right on the mesh. Yeah, so um, I have a, in my Docker Compose file, I have a TailScale service container that starts first, and then I start Sterling PDF. And I have Sterling PDF's network mode set to use my TailScale Docker container for all the networking. And then the host name for that TailScale node is just called PDFs. So in my browser for my wife's, all my wife's systems, all my kids' systems, my systems, in our web browsers, we just go to HTTP colon slash slash PDFs, and it takes you to the Sterling PDF app. I don't have to set up anything in reverse proxy, nothing in Nginx config. It's just that node goes directly on the tailnet through that service container and exposes the application as PDFs. And anything else that's on the tailnet can just go to HTTP colon slash slash PDFs and access and make modifications on their phone or on their desktop. So it's a really nice way to solve that problem. Because I've been there. Okay, I will have a look at that. Any, what about you guys? I, I mean, I know it's we, we've, we're all hardened Linux users now, but do either one of you have kind of like an uncomfortable thing on the day-to-day you'd live with? Being the weirdo with a different OS. Yeah. And that being blamed for any defect. Like, it's always feels like it's personally your fault that you use Linux and therefore process <laughs> A doesn't work, yes. whether or not that process is at fault or not. Like, it's just the default assumption you're wrong. Absolutely true. Boy, have I lived that. I've lived that. Oh, you, Brent, do you have one? Well, it totally touches on what I've been thinking about for the last few days around this topic. And I... I knew there'd be a lot of like technical issues that we would run into, but I, I started, man, I started thinking about the philosophical ones. It's like sometimes it just feels lonely being the only person, I don't know, at your computer club or like your friend circles or like even in your family using the one like strange ecosystem that nothing, yeah. you know, oh, nothing's supported on there. Yeah. Why are you even using this thing? And I remember, like, I think those of us who are, connected to the podcast right now, or even listen, you know, at home are pretty lucky to have that sense of community. Uh, but man, I remember when I was first getting into Linux, just feeling like I was the only person in my entire city who, you know, was, was trying <laughs> yes. to run this thing. And uh, <laughs> so I would say as an amazing solution to that, like just try to find some people anywhere, like a conference or online, or there's many options now, but uh, that sense of loneliness and isolation, uh, hit me hard back then and sometimes still does. I very much have felt that in environments where I'm working with a bunch of other people that are on Windows or on Mac OS. And it's, oh, the Linux guy. That's not going to work with the Linux guy. And now I – now and I, I'm starting – I'm considering cracking on this. I don't know. Thankfully, I totally broke Dylan's ability to boot into Windows when I installed Nix. Like, the Nix installer did not detect the Windows install like everybody says it does and set it up. And I have not bothered to go back and figure out how to get that going for him. I may have even accidentally nuked the Windows install. I don't quite remember. Accidental. Yeah. But now I kind of regret it because, you know, I can overhear his friends saying, like, dude, why don't you just get Windows? Can we just want, we just want to play with you. Just get Windows, you know, and get on the Xbox chat with us, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, I've, heard, I've sort of made him like the outsider in his friend group. Now, with the streaming, it kind of, it kind of fixes that, the stream. But I felt kind of bad because I remember going through that, too, and feeling like, oh, come on, man. Just play on Windows with us. It's like, oh, let's just play. We want to play Medal of Honor. Let's just put it on Windows. 
You know, I, it makes me think of uh, sort of audio workflows, audio editing, uh-huh. um, making music. You can certainly do it on Linux, and there can be some really neat setups. We do lots of fun stuff with Linux Audio. Super grateful that yes. know, things like Reaper, and you know, we've got more options than ever. And it's getting really good. Yeah, but I don't know if you were just going to sit down and do it, and you wanted to use, be assured you had access to all the popular plugins and workflows. The like, only way it worked is because we kind of did it all as a group. Yeah, like I don't know yeah, that I would right. recommend it to others unless they were really dedicated to like a Linux solution. Yeah, yeah we kind of figured it out together. And some of it's really fun, right? Like, and you learn stuff, and you got to like set mm-hmm. up line and figure it out. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not necessarily simple. Props to the Bitcoin dad because he has sort of figured a lot of this all out on his own, as he's also kind of been distro hopping at the same time. And you know how tricky that can be when you're in a new, you know, you're going one day you're in Fedora, the next day you're in SUS, and you're trying to stand up the same exact audio environment. There can be benefits. I mean, I think we've seen like the studio setup here has been quite stable, and you know, it just keeps working. We don't have to necessarily be at the whims of a service provider that's changing out from under us. Uh, but the cost was a, a lot of rigging. Rotted Mood points out too, uh, well, you know, there's just an uncomfortable truth of using Linux that we've gotten really used to, I think, is there's applications missing. Like for him, it's Reason. Yeah, um, right. That's better than ever. Yeah, like I, I have to make um, like a little thumbnail for our live streams. And, um, you know, for a year now, I've been just making that in Photopea. And I, 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 I generate the image now with Stable Diffusion, where before I used to have to create it from scratch. Now I generate it with Stable Diffusion, and I edit in Photopea, all in a web browser on my Linux desktop. It's it's pretty wild. But so things are getting better. Um, you know, video editors are probably still an area yeah. where, like, you, you can make yourself a nice workflow, and there's good solutions and products. Yeah. But you're not just going to pick one of the big ones and go with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you still have to put together the right hardware. And like if you're trying to do like a, you know, you found a local class in your area and they are teaching this solution, you're, you're probably going to have to get another OS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely if you're going to a school or you're trying to get tutor, tutoring, somebody's going to know. They're going to have the Adobe Premiere workflow or whatever. And yeah. They're not even going to give a Linux a, a, a thought. I, I feel like when we're shopping for hardware, it's still a huge consideration as well. Like a how often are we super excited when there's a new audio interface that supports Linux pretty well? And like, even I was looking at mice and uh, some people were complaining <laughs> that it wasn't working with Linux. It's like, Oh, come on. Really? Are we still dealing with this? Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I, I, I definitely feel that a little bit with uh, NVIDIA hardware still just yeah. the NVIDIA, anything that's AMD NVIDIA hybrid still feels really kind of rickety for me and brittle. The, the, Intel NVIDIA hybrid seems a little more solid if you're going to go that route, but the AMD I- NVIDIA, like I, I get weird artifacting and I, I can't really pin it down, but I'll be in plasma, I think under X in this case, and I'll move the mouse cursor and I'll get like boxes around the mouse cursor every now and then, just boxes, huh. just as I'm moving a box in a box. Why is that? Why is that weird artifacting happening? How do I even reproduce it? I, and I don't have it on the other system. And it's and it's like, I and you know, that, that Asus ROG G14 wasn't bought for Linux. Uh-huh. It it was bought for, win, it, it was meant to run Windows of and course. it runs Linux today. And you have various different degrees of success with that. And with that, I think it's on the edge of success with that machine still to this day. It's on the edge of success. But then you have systems like that Mac trash can from 2013, the Mac Pro. Well, flawless. Flawlessly runs Linux flawlessly like the from the moment the thumb drive goes in that mac pro trash can 
flawlessly running Nix OS. Like you would think the thing was built by System76. I am just loving this rekindled relationship you're having with it. One of my favorite computers right now, it runs Linux so well. A 20, it's got, it's, it detects thermals. It support, it detects both of the AMD GPU cards in that thing. It's quiet. It boots in like eight seconds. Born to run Linux. It's born to run Linux. <laughs> and it, you would never, it is a 2013 Mac Pro trash can with Xeons and ECC RAM and all of that. And it works perfectly. Better than that Asus ROG G14 that's from like two years ago. So, you know, it's just hit and miss with it. It's just hit and miss with it, boys. But uh, these are the uncomfortable, there's probably many more. We'd love to hear your uncomfortable truths. I'm sure you have them and we've probably just scratched the surface. And I, I actually think there is utility in us talking about this because it adds realism to a show where we're generally really focused on the very positive things. And I think people should go into using free software and Linux with all of the information. And so if you have any Linux uncomfortable truths, uncomfy truths, boost them in and let us know, and uh, we'll read them in a future episode. Collide.com slash unplugged. Go over there if you're in IT, if you deal with security, if your company works with Okta. You have all of these things coming at you all the time these days. And it's not necessarily their fault, but a lot of it comes from the end user. That's been a reoccurring pattern over the last few years, especially as Bring Your Own Device has exploded both for good and for bad. They don't mean to play a role, but often employees and staff and contractors can accidentally play a role. Unpatched software. Uh, out of compliance even, or just fished credentials, that's a real problem, and it's not getting much better. The technology has kind of failed them. Collide comes in as a solution for end users and a solution for you at IT and a solution for management if they need to see reports. Collide ensures only secure devices can access your network and your cloud apps. Say goodbye to compromised credentials. Say goodbye to systems that are out of compliance and end users having to nitpick at IT for every little thing. Collide solves all of that by checking that before they connect and then working with the end user directly to solve the problem using your processes, your procedures, your communication style, etc. It empowers employees to enhance, fix, resolve their own issues. It deburdens IT. It kind of takes away that confrontational relationship there. And best of all, I think, because coming from this from an IT angle, is it also gives you a resource dashboard where you can manage everything on a single pane of glass, Windows, Linux, Mac OS, get your reports, Make sure everybody's compliant. All that stuff you need to do. It's really a great solution. Go experience it firsthand. Go to collide.com slash unplugged. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash unplugged. Get a demo. Get some insights into how this works. Support the show. They got a video over there that really kind of makes it all click. That's collide.com slash unplugged. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today we are introducing a very new segment here on Linux Unplugged, Will It Nix? This is exciting. Obviously, everybody's been waiting a long time for this. No, 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 of course not. No, this is something we came up with, though, as maybe a way to see if maybe things aren't always better the Nix way. There's very common and popular ways to host lots of different typical, well-known open source projects and software. Lots of good ways to install things, and we want to compare and contrast the typical, widespread, common ways to do things with how you might do it on Nix. Then we'll look at the pros, the cons, which was actually a little bit easier, which one's maybe going to last longer, it'd be easier to maintain, sustain, kind of try to figure out the benefits of each approach. And then we'll kind of come back with our conclusions and 
how we're going to run that software in the future. If we'll go with the Nick's way or the typical widespread way to deploy that piece of software. And we thought up first, why not see if we can nix Nextcloud? Something we depend on, run a lot. Also convenient to have a quick recipe for if you, you know, maybe you want one for work and one for personal. And one that I have commented mostly in our members feed that I think it's, there's too many ways to install Nextcloud. And I would love to come up with one that is truly our official way to install Nextcloud. <laughs> and then maybe we go and deploy this on our server here. Just something to think about, okay. right? So uh, the question we're really trying to answer is, does it work better if it's nixed up? But we have to know, what is the next way for some of these? So this is something we're going to ask you this episode. We're not doing this right now. We're going to put the question to you, the audience. If you've ever installed Nextcloud on Nix, how did you do it? But also, how do you have your Nextcloud deployed right now? Uh, we want to know. We want. We need to collect data on both sides. We need to know what are common, typical ways you out there have deployed Nextcloud, and we also need to know what ways people out there have nixed up Nextcloud. Do you build it from source? You run it with the snap? You put it on Kubernetes? I don't know. Yeah, and if you're doing it on Nix, are you doing it as a flake? Is it a module? Are you just doing a Nix config? Boost it and tell us how you're doing it, regardless of which way it is. And if you're listening now, please try to do it soon because we want the earlier we can get the data in, the sooner we can start putting this together so the more results we get before we record next Sunday's episode. So boost in how you would deploy NextCloud both on Nix or on any other distro. We need to collect and compare all the common ways. Collect that feedback, then we'll make our decision and try to deploy it, and then we'll come back and tell you how it went and see if you truly can Nix it up or not. I think one of the important questions we should try to answer in this segment as we go as well is, once we have nixed it up, is it worth switching from older methodologies? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what Would it just be a lot easier to just do a Docker Compose or do the all-in-one, the snap? You know, Brent's been running Nextcloud forever, so I'm curious what he think, what he'll think. Well, I, 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 I feel like I'll probably learn a few things and migrate. <laughs> we'll see. I'm going to want to pick your brain about how we have it deployed right now. In production, And then, of course, I have mine deployed at home, which is using the Linux server I.O. stuff. Oh, yeah, right. So we, we each have different approaches. I feel like we also want to get some feedback about what you want to see us try in this segment as well. Like we have some of our favorite software that we're excited to implement, but maybe there's something that you use or want to see Nixified. And if so, uh, please give us the challenge. We're starting with Nextcloud a bit out of necessity and also because I feel like I've I've brought it up many times. It's tricky to deploy Nextcloud depending on which route you take. So it seems like this is a good one to start with. And I kind of love the idea that if we did come up with something we could share, other people could then use that as well, assuming they understood it. So there could be an advantage of if we do nick something, we could publish how we nixed it, the config. Yeah, right. Or at least uh, the reference we use, the, the tools, the, yeah, the end product. I also like the idea that this isn't NixOS only. I like the idea that you can apply these strategies that hopefully we come into some successes on any Linux system, really, if you just install Nix. So it might just be useful for everyone. To give people an idea, Wes, um, you went out and you you collected a whole batch of ways people are doing this right now, how they're Nix. I mean, a whole batch of ways people, how they're Nixing up Nextcloud. Did any of these stand out as like if you were going to pick one right now? Okay, so if you want to take a little live look, check out the uh, the Holy Grail Nextcloud setup. Okay, all made right. easy by NixOS, and see what you just read through and see what you think. All right, okay. It, I, first of all, it's clean. It's really simple and straightforward. It's like one big code block, but it's all just right there, isn't it? They're pulling uh, the Nextcloud app from 
from some cookbook on GitHub. Oh, so that was from their GitHub, from Nextcloud's GitHub. Hmm. And they have backups accounted for. That's interesting. I think this looks like a pretty viable way to do it. What? Why? You'll... No, no. I mean, it, it's just uh, it's delightfully concise. Yeah. I, what I like it. It's well, got uh, you know it handles doing Let's Encrypt uh, and an Nginx proxy yep. to the application. Uh, it sets up Redis for you. It sets up a Postgres database for you. Sets up only Office apparently as well. Look at that. And uh, sets auto updates to true. That's how I like to roll. All right. <laughs> so it, I think one area we'll probably have to get into is apps, right? Yeah. Um, yeah so like yeah. you can see here, there's one version where they're defining uh, only Office right here. So like that's essentially an app, right? Yep. But there's so like there's some subset of apps like uh, is often with Nix, right? Where mm-hmm. they are Nix packaged, right? But there's probably some apps that mm-hmm. aren't, and mm-hmm. you're also going to want. So there's like an example here of a custom app installation. So how much of a pain is that? How many do you have? Are you willing to manage them this way? What's it like to manage them outside of this if you are doing it with Nix? That doesn't look too bad. So this guy's pulling in the cookbook app, which is fantastic. I mean, that's not really not that bad if once you know. Well, we're definitely going to play with that if we go this route because there are a couple of apps we'd want to pull in. All right. But if you were going to deploy it tonight. It seems like a strong contender. mm -hmm. So let's put that link, the Holy Grail NextCloud setup made easy by NixOS created by Carlos. We'll put a link to that in the show notes too. But we want to know what everybody would use because, you know, for us, this is a whole new territory. (laughs) The Bitcoin company. So you might be wondering, how do we go from boost to going to scale? Well, that's the Bitcoin company. You convert sats into gift cards really quick over the Lightning Network. And right now, for a few days, as as when you hear this, so probably about seven days or so, they're having a deal on prepaid Visa cards with extra sats back. Because that's one of the perks of the Bitcoin company is when you purchase, you get sats back. And if you use our referral code, Unplugged, or our affiliate link that we'll have in the notes, you'll get a little extra $5 in-app credit once you've spent over $21. 21 is a special number to Bitcoiners. And a 1,000 sat bonus. Plus, we get a little kickback like a 1,000 sats to our account as well, which we'll put towards our trip to scale. We have a link in the show notes. It's thebitcoincompany.com, referral code UNPLUGGED. That's how we're getting to scale. They're super great, super quick, and already on the Lightning Network, so you can zap your sats over there super cheap. At thebitcoincompany.com, promo code UNPLUGGED. Now, this week for feedback, we wanted to actually have a community conversation around our friend Mitch Downey, who works at Podverse, has been doing that full time for a few months now. And, uh, well, I wanted to read some messages that he shared. Hey, sorry, I've been off grid so long, folks. I've been busy with a combination of making money so I don't have to go back to a day job. And to be frank, Podverse is pretty overwhelming to keep up with. And it gets more overwhelming with each day I let things fall behind. I've been working on Podverse for 10 years now. I didn't even know how to code when I started. And I absolutely love what we've accomplished. But I had always hoped we could have a thriving open source community by now. I honestly don't know what course of action can convert Podverse from being this 10-hour-day labor of love for me into a reasonably managed business with adequate resources to keep development always moving forward and high-quality customer service. The truth is, as Podverse has grown more popular, it has become more difficult to keep up with. We have many generous supporters, but the money we make is far from being able to pay someone a full-time salary. Accepting VC money would go against everything Podverse stands for. The entire reason for Podverse's existence as an open-source 
ad-free app, but it's easy to see why people do it. Anyway, I just wanted to be transparent that I'm having a hard time keeping up with everything. Unless there were an increase in steady open source contributors, I can't see how I can keep up with the rate of progress and responsiveness people are used to. And this really, this hits, right? Because um, Mitch is struggling as the app gets more popular. And I think we see this as a common thread with a lot of GPL maintainers, that GPL apps. And this is also occurring in the backdrop when you're seeing Fountain 1.0 released and they've crushed it. And they're doing they're doing phenomenally well. Truefans.fm just came out, which is a brand new podcasting 2.0 app that is really, really cool because it has some additional ways to earn sats. And then um, additionally, we just saw that Apple has adopted another podcasting 2.0 standard, the transcript tags, which is massive. Right. Yeah. Massive. For, it's massively validating for podcasting 2.0. It's huge for transcripts. Um, it it's it like validates first, the direction. It's going to be a first class feature now, right? Yes. It validates, it validates that when Apple's looking to add a new feature, they're looking at what podcasting 2.0 is doing and they're going with that. And that's good for RSS and that's good for podcasting in general. They could have done their own proprietary thing. And so that is a validating thing for these podcasting 2.0 apps. And yet Mitch is, well, he's having a hard go of it right now, both from a financial standpoint, but also just from a development load standpoint. I mean, as you're saying, right, with like GPL and similar apps where it's wonderful, anyone can use it. It can just spread like wildfire, but there's not a direct mechanism to adding folks actually helping keep it going, lifting. And, you know, there's surely going to be growing needs like uh, more support issues. I really wanted to boil this down to one question to you boys and to the audience. When, when you're in a situation like this where it's a small team, one or two people mostly, is there some logic in just ignoring the support issues, ignoring the requests, ignoring the bugs, and just focus on what you do and just let the other stuff go? Because, you know, I've been doing this for 19 years. It's been a business now for 13, 14, 15 of those years. And the last couple of years, like I think if, if we were going through this ad winter five years ago, I would be an absolute mess. I would be so, so stressed out and anxious because it'd be existential because it'd be like my business is about to collapse. Um, everything's about to fall apart. This is how I survive. This is how I put food on them. You know, yeah. but as I've gotten older and I've lived through it a few more, it's like, I know ultimately it's going to be okay. Whatever happens, it's going to be okay. And it's not, you know, what's existential are more immediate things like car accidents and health incidents and stuff like that. But this kind of stuff, it's I'm not I'm not in it for the short term, right? I'm yeah. in it for the next thirty years. So if not everything gets fixed today, or not you know if the profits aren't perfect today, so some aspect of it, taking on what you can chew at the time, mm-hmm. and maybe having to figure out how to scale that back for periods where you need to, yeah, setting different expectations. And I think um, what's helped me too is having some things in real life that anchor me that are also important that aren't so it's this isn't the only thing that's important to me it's very important to me but it's not the only thing that's very important to me. yeah otherwise then you just your entire uh yeah see but that's harder that's easier said than done but i mean even for, if it's video games for god's sakes just get a stack it's like i always like to say stack a w somewhere else stack a w somewhere else i know it seems counterintuitive because you're taking focus away from the thing that you're already drowning on but if you stack a win somewhere else then you you can take that momentum and you can go attack that thing that you've been avoiding because it makes you super anxious and just the concept of even dealing with it is so much that you tune it out. That's what stacking those W's does is it gives you that momentum to go get that thing. And then I think at the same time, you got to tune people out. Um, you know, like I have an issue on Mondays 
that is pretty pretty annoying and on Sundays where I just get a lot of DMs and and alerts and notifications and Sundays and Monday mornings I'm really busy prepping either Coda Radio or Linux Unplugged and so yeah, that's live stream season. Yeah, there's mornings where if you if you know if you send me a message on Sunday morning or Monday morning I might not get to it till three four five o'clock that day, and that's just the way it's got to be um, because I've got a job to do and I've got to focus. And I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed by notifications. And I noticed this even when just switching from iOS to Graphene is I started feeling pecked to death again with, with Graphene because I had mastered the iOS focus modes and I had to kind of come up with a new notification approach for uh, Android. And you have to watch out for that because there's always somebody that needs something. You know, like uh, it's always – and if I see that unread message, it's, it's, like a, it's like a background process that's stealing my CPU. So I think I think you got to find a way to get momentum outside the project. You got to come up with ways to tune out some of the requests. Focus on what you know you need to execute on. It's got to be hard too, right? When when you have uh, so much communication, you don't get to really set up pre filters very easily. And um, as we know, there's a sort of inbuilt bias where you don't you don't reach out and remind Mitch how great Potverse already right. is all the time, right. but you do maybe make a lot of suggestions about stuff that could be fixed or improved. And that so, can be tough to hear, especially from a yeah. long, you know, for a long time person who's invested so much. Cause for him, it's always like he's seen a list of stuff that's not fixed yet. And then people are asking for more stuff and in open source, like the ideal thing would be like, Hey, I, I think this would be a good idea. And I, I have this initial patch set. That's really the way to do it. And otherwise you're just asking for somebody to do more work. And I think this is, again, a common thread we see through a lot of open source software and the maintainers that, that make it possible. So, Mitch, you're, you're dealing with something that is, I think, a classic problem. And I wanted to open this up, A, because I think perhaps there's folks out in the audience that have some insights they could share. Uh, Mitch does watch the boost because we send a percentage to him. So um, you could boost in with those. But also what we, what we see here is so common that I think there's probably we could zoom out as a community and just be a little more understanding about these situations. And if somebody out there does have free time, knows a little React, maybe you're an Android developer, something like that, iOS developer, this is a GPL cross-platform podcasting 2.0 app, and it could use some help. And maybe we could show up with some patch sets out there. We've had some folks step up before and do it. Yeah. Maybe some more fo- folks could do that, uh, and we could help Mitch out directly that way too. I know we felt very similar to this uh, as the podcast network back during the lockdowns of 2020. And I I remember, Chris, we were thinking about it like, what's going on? It really boiled down to us not being able to interface with the community one-on-one in person. And I wonder if Mitch might consider just doing a small, I don't know, even a dinner or a small meetup. I don't know exactly where he's located, but hopefully he's got some like super fans who'd be willing to, I don't know, go bowling or... (laughs) have a dinner together because uh, that every time we do it, it just motivates us in a whole different way for months. And I've seen that over and over again. That's why I'm so drawn to trying to throw meetups everywhere I go for our community, because everyone who shows up gets that same feeling back. And hopefully that could help and get some new connections to the project as well. Yeah. That making those in-person networking connections, it seems to give us energy in a way that you, you wish you wish you didn't need. Especially me. I wish I, I wish that stuff didn't affect me positively. I wish I could go on and have the same level of energy and motivation uh, without those meetups. But I must also succumb to the meat bag that I actually am. <laughs> yeah. We all must. Yeah. It's just, and uh, 
Um, it took me way, way, way too long to learn that connection is protection and networking is one of the best things you can invest in in your entire life. It just took me way too long to figure that out. I like what Brent was saying too. I don't know. It almost sounds like uh, Podverse needs a party. Deserves one, certainly. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Um, so podverse.fm is, is the web version. You can also find it in iOS or Play Store or FDroid. And uh, it's a great app. Truefans.fm is a brand new app. Just came out as well. It's a progressive web app that does work offline, but they're just saying no thanks to the app store. They're just going to go truefans.fm, and then Fountain FM has been incredible. Uh, Oscar and Nick and the whole team over there are crushing it release after release, and 1.0 is amazing now, and they've reached a whole new level of user base. So it's been it's it's a really and then to have Apple come along and adopt the podcast transcript namespace from podcasting 2.0. Also, they adopted the people one a while back, but it's just Huge. Especially, you know, just like that that's one more reason to bring in and have that namespace available in the feed already. And then, you know, right there also are the rest of the podcasting two point features waiting for you. Yeah. And why not you know, the more people that use these apps, the the more pressure on Apple and Spotify to adopt these open source standards and not implement their own way of doing things, which is how they've done it. Yeah. For, there are in RSS and in podcasting, there are iTunes specific tags that even we have to use because they just got there first. Yeah, and now and everyone expected them. Now Linux podcasts have iTunes specific tags in their RSS feed. That's gross. It's gross. And now it is time for the boost. Indeed, and the dude abides is our baller booster this week. He comes in with one hundred and forty three thousand four hundred and fifty six sats. And that first boost, as you might expect. It's a Spaceballs boost. One, two, three, four, five, six sats. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. It's great. Uh, he says, thanks for the episode. Although I've never listened to audiobooks, perhaps it's time I give it a go. Do you have a similar recommendation for ebooks? Maybe Calabria the way to go? Uh, he says, by the way, I'm currently on my way to Fosdom. Too, Brad, too bad Brent won't be there. No, oh, it's yes, so it's sad. Too. I wanted to be maybe next year. We'll all be there. Maybe. You know, Audio Bookshelf will do ebooks quite well. Yeah. It wasn't like my absolute favorite reader yeah. on the phone, but um, I, I like that you had the web interface too. And the reader was fine on the phone. I think it had the essentials there, um, just not as nice as some of the some of the premium ones that have come to exist on that platform. If you only wanted books, probably um, Calibre would be a good way to go. Uh, or Calibre, however you say it. Um, but if you want audiobooks and ebooks, I think right. well, probably. A one-stop shop for I, books. Yeah. And then I give the nod to Audio Bookshelf. Thumbs boosts in with 123,456 cents. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. I thought this Nick's episode was very helpful. Talking about uh, 546, what you're missing about Nick's OS. I'm still a Linux beginner, but curious. You guys have always made Nick seem intriguing, but things like Flakes and Home Manager make it seem a bit daunting. I'm excited to try Snowflake. Seems like a more approachable starting point. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I I agree. Uh, um, I think Home Manager does seem daunting at first. I think for me, what what I had a really hard time understanding, and I still need to do more practical on hands experience with, is modules and overlays and flakes. It just didn't, you know, I just didn't go that route when I got into Nix. But with Snowflake, you will kind of start there in a more smooth on-ramp style, perhaps. It might not be so bad. And uh, it seems like you're already doing this, thumbs, but, uh, yeah, you know, engaging in any way, you know, getting a bite, a first bite of the Nix stuff from whatever direction it is, 
uh, flakes, home manager aside, you know, just whatever works for you. You'll, you'll learn and expand from there naturally. Let yeah. us know how it goes, Thumbs, and thanks for the boost. Get your thumbs dirty. Mick ZP boosted in with 42,000 sats from Castomatic, saying, Vegas meetup! Never been, but uh, <laughs> tickets are cheap and quite direct as well. The answer to the ultimate question. Brent, yeah, do a va- well, maybe next time. Maybe next time. We'll all go. You know, we'll I, go in the warm weather. I, I, I had deeply considered doing it um, because how much fun would that be? But then I figured that would just be torture on my family, uh, dragging them to one of our meetups. So <laughs> maybe next time. Maybe, maybe. Or you just get really drunk first. Then everybody have a great time. I'm sure that's what you do in Vegas, right? Indeed. Hybrid Sarcasm comes in with 42,000 sats. The answer to the ultimate question. I says, I discovered this week how easy it is to implement rootless Docker on NixOS. Once I wrap my head around flakes, I can be one of the cool kids. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You already are, Hybrid Sarcasm. You already are. Thank you for the boost. Cultivator boosts in with a a double boost of 12,345 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. And... One, two, three, four, five. Yes. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. I was able to install NixOS on an old corporate discard desktop I had and even managed to install a couple of packages. After this podcast, I got excited to try out Snowflake and maybe try to learn the Flake way of doing things. Unfortunately, the motherboard failed. So now I'm trying to work up the nerve to install it on my main machine and give it a real go. I feel like this podcast enables my tendency towards risky behavior. And I love you for it. <laughs> High praise. Thank you. Uh, and the second boost here. Okay, so it turns out the Dell in question must have been in hibernate when I unplugged and moved it. And after removing the RAM and performing a very strict ritual involving some animal sacrifice, I was able to get it to boot. Now on to Snowflake OS. Hey, congratulations. That's quite the thrilling story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the nice thing about the Dells is you can put in the service tag on their website, and it will tell you specifically which animal you have to sacrifice. So that makes it really easy to look that up. Distro Stew boosted in with 23456 Satoshis. <laughs> I recently stumbled on vnote, app.vnote.fun. It's an open-source markdown note-taking app. And though I love Obsidian, I've been looking for an open-source alternative, and this just about hits the marks for my needs. Of course, since they both speak Markdown, I'm not locked into either app and can use them somewhat interchangeably. Also, see you at scale. Hey, hey, cool. Thank you for this. This vnote.fun, app.vnote.fun. Looks nice. I it mean, it's, does um, look pretty it's good. a native C++ and uh, cute application, so hopefully okay. it should be light and snappy. I have to say when I... First-class Linux support, which is always lovely. When my eye strays from Obsidian... Where I land is actually QO notes. Which an old favorite. Is an old favorite and also works great with Nextcloud. Yeah, but boy, that looks really good. App.vnote.fun. Thank you, Distro Stu. Appreciate you. Jordan Bravo comes in with a row of the McDucks. Things are looking up for old McDuck. 22,222 sats. Says thanks for the shout out to my work, uh, my Nick's workshop. Here's the recording of the live stream in case anyone's interested. Part one focused on the Nick's on non-Nix OS systems, like you know, Nick's on Ubuntu, OpenSUSE, and then part two focuses on Nick's OS. I'll boost in with the recording link when it's all over, and share it in the Nick's Nerds Matrix channel. Excited for y'all's coverage of NixCon. We'll put that YouTube link in there. We're, oh, these have been very heavy Nick's boosts. This is this is, and it's funny is we did audio bookshelf, which was we took a week off from talking about Nick's. 
But uh, then we did Snowflake, of course, so everybody's catching up. Um, and I love it. I'm not complaining at all. It's There is something special happening here, and I'm going to be very proud to look back in five years and have this show have really been at this leading edge of covering this. I, I think it's going to be really great. We've already you know, clearly entered the next era. The only question yeah. is how long it lasts. Right. Ooh, that could be a topic. Nev boosts in with 10,000 sats. hey As a Gen 2 user, I think rather than a source-based challenge, I'm going to go with a GNU Geeks challenge instead for a month. I'll boost in with updates as I go. Geeks February 2024. So we need to have a little team meeting about this uh, source-based challenge. I think the thing that has me a little like, how do we do this, is the upcoming trips. Right. Because I don't know if we have time to do it before, and I don't think we want to do it during the trip. No, we probably want to be a little more focused. So I think we just got to have a little tactical planning session. Okay. Maybe after the show, we'll do a little tactical planning. Uh, also, good luck, Nev. Um, I've been curious about Geeks before. I haven't really yeah. tried it yet, yeah. but, you know, uh, sort of Nix-inspired, but with uh, Guile involved. Seems like it could be pretty nice. So Please, uh, please do let us posted. know. Yeah, and thanks for the boost. Tux M boosted in two boosts for a total of 17,222 sats. Make it so. Nice. Hello from Central Virginia. Constantly learning about NixOS. It's on my laptop and desktop. I like to optimize Nix store to reduce space usage, space usage, trim generations, and run garbage collect on Nix store frequently. My small 110 gig hard drive went from 97% used to about 60% used. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. I get, so you definitely want to clean up your disk because I do get a little filled up on the laptop sometimes because it's only like a 256 gigger. Yeah, you know, Nix is great and uh, there's a lot of nice things about it, but uh, minimal disk space is not necessarily one of them. Yeah, yeah. And you can, if you keep all those generations, which you can revert to, guess what? <laughs> it's going to take space. So there are garbage cleanup commands. And what I've done on my kids' computers is in the Nix config, I've just gone ahead and turned on auto garbage collection and it auto garbage collects anything older than seven days, I think. So they basically get a week of generations. Um, they don't generally have a week's worth because one of them is set to never update and one of them is set to update daily, but the computer has to be on at the right time and all that. Uh, so yeah, of course. He seems to, uh, so far tracking it, he seems to auto-update about four times a week, hmm. which it is. Okay. And it's totally seamless to him. Yeah. He's never even commented on it, which is incredible because when he turns that thing on, he just hits the gaming right away and it's somehow still <laughs> just doing like it. auto-updated in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chris, it helps when you're playing games like Roblox and, and Fortnite. They're not super demanding, but uh, yeah. Jitter, Jittering Blender comes in with 5,000 sats. He says, thank you for devoting this episode to Nix. This was uh, our uh, Snowflake episode. I'm in favor of the source-only challenge mentioned by a previous booster. I see it as an experiment to see if source-only can improve application performance. I agree. Of course, you would have to add the compiler flags, whether it can reduce bandwidth of, on an average uh, compared to binary uh, distros too I'd be interested I also like the idea of reducing the attack service by reducing the alliance, the reliance on any binary cache finally congrats for raising enough funds for scale alright another vote I guess we have to do it huh yeah those are interesting points right there so I think the key takeaways that I'm getting uh, Blender from your boost is you're curious to know if compiler flags if you can get performance out of it be curious to know if it's more or less bandwidth used than you know updating a binary system and then there's that discussion around you're kind of reducing that third-party risk that the maintainer or the repo hasn't been compromised and that the binary isn't. Yeah, how do we feel about the whole, you know, whatever we do, how do we feel about the security? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Those are really good thoughts. Thank you, Blender. Gene Bean boosts in with uh, 10,677 sets hey, across six, there he is. six different boosts. Hey, it's Gene. 
B O O S T. Can we also get a ducks in here? Because sure. we got some uh, we got some, ducks. some ducks in here. Yeah. We archive from Audible mostly for fear of things disappearing, yep. like happen on streaming servers. Same. We can also then l- easily lend books to one or two friends, just as you might do with paper books. That, Gene, was why I set up Audio Bookshelf in the first place, because the guys were over and I wanted to share some books with them, and they were audiobooks. I'm like, well, how do I solve for this? Right. <laughs> I archive select podcasts in Audio Bookshelf as well. And I also archive any podcast I guest host or speak on, which that's a nice idea. That is, that's fun. Good idea. Continuing on, Gene Bean says, I've heard some zip code boosts from my fellow Georgians in and around Atlanta. Any chance you'd add a room for us to gather in and uh, maybe, just maybe, plan a meetup? Okay. Our Atlantan meetup sounds pretty fun. Yeah, we should have a, uh, a we, I need a good name though for it. That's a big requirement because we did the scale room and I'm still sad that we didn't come up with a good name. Yeah, Chris and I failed at <laughs> And it's that been one. two weeks. Yeah, so I need a really clever name like uh, Georgia Groupies or something that's so like that. But yes, absolutely. The Georgia Then gang. maybe we'll get it rolling and then, yeah, the, maybe if they're okay with that. Um, but if we could get a good name for it and get it rolling, I think that's step one into an actual official JB meetup, right? It, yeah, totally. Uh, Okay, continuing on, uh, if you haven't already, be sure to add the Audible ASIN. It helps a lot for finding metadata for audiobooks. That's a nice little tip. Okay. And Gene says that uh, they're looking forward to meeting us at NixCon and Skate. Nice. Oh, my God, we're going to meet Gene. I'm a little nervous. That's so great. And a little prod uh, saying, um, Wayland and Firefox on Nix with both Gnome is working great for me. Firefox also works great under Hyperland for me. My setup is on a 2017 Dell XPS 93... 9360 13-inch machine. Maybe I've just got the right hardware combo. You know, I've stopped complaining because it's working. So I haven't... Uh, I don't know if my cameras are working. I haven't checked that yet. But uh, I don't have the Firefox crashing issue anymore, which is massive. And I did also have a Chrome issue where my extension menus would be really, really narrow. But what I've learned is that if I drag the width of the Chrome browser to almost the entire width of my monitors, then the Chrome extension menus are fine. So I've solved for both. What, uh, what, what was the fix in the first case? The Firefox fix was they did an update and now Firefox has native Wayland support. Well, great. Yeah, yeah. That was that was really great. That um, I don't know about the cameras. I'll have to figure that out. I need to play around with that. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, thank you, Gene. And I'm really looking forward to meeting you at scale. Thank you for all those boosts and all those ducks. Lego Feet boosted in 8008 Satoshis from Fountain, saying simply, juvenile number humor. Uh, that, if you spell it out on the calculator, that is funny. I get it. I get it. Thank you for the boost. Purple Dog comes in with 5,000 sats. I've been using Audio Bookshelf for about a year now. Oh, all right. Some boots on the ground long timer reports here. I'm getting my books from Audible. I've got a script that uses Audible CLI, had not even heard of that, to download new books and then converts them to MP3 with all the correct metadata for Audio Bookshelf. I'm running that in Docker right now, but I'm working on packing it up in oh, Nix. Bless wow. you, Purple Dog. If you do, Purple Dog, will you shoot it my way? Um, I'd love to repackage it up in Nix too. Sounds neat. So the thing that uh, I notice you're doing here is MP3. I am doing the M4Bs still. Because everything I use supports that M4B support, and I think it's AAC. and That would make sense. Technically higher quality. Um, and it has all the chapters in line and stuff, but I think MP3 is probably still a pretty pretty safe way to go. Nacho Linux boosts in with 5,000 sets. JPL, long live the copter. Yeah. 
Shout out, though, to Tim, who told us that uh, there's still a Linux box running on the actual rover still. Hanging out on Mars. So, you know. Also, um, I don't know if maybe Tim could, if he's listening, he could tell us, but there's been some online chatter about spinning it up for science and letting it go wreck itself and to kick up dirt and stuff. And, you know, the cameras might land somewhere where it gets a cool picture. <laughs> like you could actually use it for a little low-key science still. I, Tim, if you're listening. One I'd, more flight. I'd like, yeah, right. One more, one more act for science. Part of me is like, don't. Just let it sit. Because then one know. day when we land there, we could go put like a little little cube over it and make it like a monument out of this little copter. And I'd like it to be in the best shape possible. Uh, it does have two chunks missing from two different blades. So it's going to get covered. And it's also going to get covered in dust. <laughs> so there might be some some logic to having a little last minute science. DPG boosted in four, five, four, five Satoshis to episode five, four, four. Ah, Hey guys, I tried uh, the 32-bit challenge of sorts with my Beagle Bone Black. has an ARM okay. V7, 1 gigahertz single-core CPU with 512 megs of RAM, and uh, it was painful. I managed to run some Telegram yeah. bots, but it seems things are sunsetting 32-bit ARM uh, as well. I'm curious to see what happens to these old single-board computers in the future, and, well, I love the show. That is a great question. I've been wondering the same thing, DPG, and thank you for the boost. What happens, and is there going to be maybe some last distro that gets us to as close as we can, and then you can still use them for something useful? We'll see. Only time will tell. The Golden Dragon came in with a row of ducks. He says, welcome to Otterbrain. If you're looking for anything in the public domain, use LibreVox. While I won't be at scale, I'll be there in spirit in a couple of other ways. Hopefully, oh. one day we can all get back together and do a brunch with Brent or similar. Missing mm. the Pacific Northwest. Missing yeah. you too, Dragon. Dragon, it'd be great if you made it out for Linux Fest. And we're going to do live streams. I will be publishing the calendar, but also because we're going to do them as lit live streams, they will just be in the RSS feed in your time and all of that. So um, if you're using a podcasting Tudodo app, you could ju- jump on right as we go live because you'll get notified within 90 seconds when we're on the road. And I, I just the reason I mention it is I'd love to bring folks in that can't make it and try to bring them in on it as much as we can. I think the dragon mentioned an important correction here too. I, I during our intro mentioned that I was using Project Gutenberg for audio, and that's actually the written uh, open formats for books. And LibriVox is actually what I was using. And I remember throwing a few LibriVox files on my old Palm Pilot back in the day when I was, you know, riding <laughs> the buses. Nice, nice. Zagatak boosted. With 6,543 sets. Hello, Zach. Snowflake OS wouldn't install at all in a VM. Uh, So instead, I went back to my Nix config files I've been making over the last few months, retested them one last time, and if all goes well, they will be on my ThinkPad by the time the episode airs. (laughs) I'll keep you posted. I hope so. I'd love to know. Um... I definitely had the install bomb on me when I tried to add app image support. And then when I went back and just unchecked app image support, the install finished just fine. So I don't know if that was, you know, what was up there. But you know, early days, it's very much alpha. But good for you. Um, I love the idea of having just a whole set for your ThinkPad. I love my ThinkPad with NixOS. I should really consider that. Hey, there's Faraday Fedora. He's got a row of ducks. Test boost. I think Albie is essing the bed. And it disconnected me from Podverse. Well, that's a great way to test. Support the show. Oppy1984 boosts in with 12,000 sats across three boosts. 
After having three books I paid for removed from my Audible account, I bought a license for Open Audible and have been downloading everything I buy and storing them in cold storage. Yeah. I keep meaning to set up Audio Bookshelf and then getting sidetracked. I mean, we all know how that goes. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. I still need to get that done. I also need to start researching audiobook vendors that allow DRM-free downloads. Maybe I'll make a blog post listing the vendors I'm able to find. But we'll see. Speaking of blog posts, on the value-for-value value audiobook subject, I wrote a blog post on my idea for that very same thing. Mm. At the time of boosting, it's the latest post. So if you're interested, just go to uh, oppie1984.com and see the post titled Value-for-Value value Audiobooks. Oh, and we got an update. Five hours later, Audio Bookshelf is set up on my server and the Android app is connected and working. <laughs> well done, sir. I'll stick with my current setup for podcasts for now, but otherwise, I think I'm in love. That's my take. Um, and I'm using it every single day. Uh, I'm keeping my podcasts in Fountain right now. I bounce between P- Fountain, Podverse, and True Fans like a distro hopper would. But my audiobooks, forever now. I'm never going to have the Audible app installed ever again. It's so great. It feels so good. And I, I, I would never want 400 books on a physical shelf. It's just that, yeah. That's not me. I have no place for that. Heaven forbid you move. I love, though, that I have 400 books in the digital space. It feels good, you know? It feels good. Well done, too, Oppie. Well done. And uh, we'll put a link to that blog post. Now, we got a special boost from Sir Lurks a lot with 7,575 Satoshis over two boosts. Hello, Sir Lurks. There he is. My favorite way to listen is on PeerTube, but I can't seem to stream sats or boosts, at least not on your version. Yeah. Aside from PeerTube, I generally listen to the shows on the Jupiter All Shows feed so I can stream, and then I'll go to the member feed to catch the pre- and post-shows since they don't support podcasting 2.0 features. Well, good news there. We're rolling out the 2.0 features to the members feed, and we're testing it to see how that goes, getting some feedback, and then we're rolling out from there. So if you listen to or subscribe to the live members feed in a podcasting 2.0 app now, they're getting 2.0 features like transcripts, chapters, and boosts. Now, Sir Lurks' second boost says, here's a happy birthday boost for you, Chris. Once upon a time, I sent a million sat boost when it was worth around 100 US dollars. And today, that same boost is worth 420. Ha! I trust your hodlin. Stay humble, stack sats, don't forget your towel, and above all, don't panic. Much love. I hoard that which your kind covet. This is one of my favorite things about the boost, too, is we can kind of have the optionality. Um, you know, in some cases, like for the scale boost, we're going to spend those sooner than later. But we do have the option to also huddle the boost. And I love that that means that if sometimes it's the opposite effect, too. But sometimes yeah. it also means your boost is doing more for you today. And it's a way for a one-time contribution to kind of like continue to contribute back in the sense that we could put that as an asset on the business's books and it could make Jupiter Broadcasting look financially better for if we needed a loan. But it also just gives us an asset that we can sell if we needed to like fall back on a little bit of money if cash flow gets tight. And we have the optionality of when to do that. Thankfully, for the most part, we really haven't. But with the ad winter, it is what it is. It's really nice to have that optionality right now. Um, we don't ever really know where the price is going to go, but we're not really in it for that. And so we sit on it till we need it. And if something comes up like a scale trip or something like that, then we can sell a little bit. And um, I think it works out pretty nice. And yeah, you got to pay capital gains tax, but that's because there was a gain. And 
that's how it works. If I got a paycheck, I'd have to pay taxes on that too, right? So I don't really look at that as a negative aspect to it. It's just all part of the process and the optionality when you're running a business and things you got to think about. Thank you, though, Lurks. Nice to hear from you. Appreciate you. Anonymous comes in with 15,000 sats saying, check out Libro FM. Great for audiobooks. Um, he also likes bookshop.org, says it works well. They have a subscription model. But the credits never expire. Yeah, that is nice. The, after you buy a book with credits or currency, you can then immediately go download it as DRM-free MP3s or M4Bs, depending on which one the publisher provides. This is great. This is really great. Uh, he says, you guys mentioned Audio Bookshelf can sort and manage your podcast, but did you know it can also create RSS feeds for your audiobooks? On an admin account, go to a book page, click on the three dots, and then click on Open RSS Feed. It will generate a random set of characters, which you can change, for a feed after your audio bookshelf URL, so then you can easily listen in your podcast app if you prefer. Wow. That's a great tip, Anonymous. Thank you. Uh, I'll do just that. Um, <laughs> that's great. That's so cool. I, I did remember hearing the lets you generate RSS feeds, but I hadn't grokked that meant I could put it in my podcast catcher, which has got great playback controls. Southern Fried Sassafras, Bruce Sin, <laughs> with 5,000 sats. Boosting in for a well-earned shout-out to Editor Drew and the entire JB crew across all shows for consistent and high audio quality and content quality. Listening to other podcasts really contrasts how well the production value is for the JB shows. Yeah, Drew really cleans yes. it up, Ooh. you know. I, I often refer sending the files to Drew and send them through the wash because they come out in the better uh, way better than they went in. They really do. He does. And, you know, if you ever listen to the bootleg version, the live members feed, and then go listen to the published version, there are members that, believe it or not, they don't listen to the live version. They listen to the ad-free version because it's got all of Drew's touches. It's, uh, it is all worth it. 3,333 sats came in from NNFTS. Just saying, yo. Yo. That's it. That's it. Just Thank yo. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. 5,432 sats from the idiot you yell at. Says I just discovered Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O, Libro.fm, for DRM-free audiobooks just before listening to this episode. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give that a shot after the show because yes. there's a couple ones I've been wanting lately and I haven't bought them yet. Thank you, everybody who boosted in. We really appreciate it. We had 25 boosters this week, lots of great engagement, some good discussions and tips, uh, and we stacked 547,059 sats. And we very much appreciate that. That goes to us, goes to Editor Drew, cut goes to the Podcast Index, and to Podverse. We really appreciate all of that. And uh, we also thank you sat streamers out there who just set those sats to stream and listen. It's so much fun to open up our dashboards and just see those coming in. We'll often, when we're, when we're doing the show live, we'll open up the dashboard and see who's listening to the previous episode while we're recording the current episode. Yeah, look at uh, Eric Nord and uh, Rotted Moon earlier today. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So thank you, everybody. Also, shout out to our members. The Unplugged Core contributors are the absolute best. And uh, we make a special extra content members feed for them. And we also have the ad-free version. We have that linked at our website. I think, it's, I think it's also linuxunplugged.com slash membership, but I'm not positive about that. But I do know we have it linked at the website. And we very much appreciate it. Uh, for our pick this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an easy one. Please do forgive. But with uh, us doing live streaming for scale and about to roll out transcripts and embrace more features and with Podverse having a tough time, I'm going to give a plug for podverse.fm. 
go check out the Podverse app. It's in Google Play, Android, and the Apple App Store. If it doesn't fit your needs, also give Fountain FM and True Fans FM a go. But uh, we're rolling out transcripts. Apple is rolling out transcripts. There's more and more features coming, including 90-second notifications from when the episodes are posted and live streaming inside the podcast app. So if you're just subscribed to our RSS feed and we go live, it's just there as one of the options. But the other thing that's really nice is we can mark a show as pending. So you'll open up the feed. You can see, oh, Linux Unplugged is going to be live in a day at this time. And you know ahead of time. And you don't have to go to our calendar page. You don't have to go to YouTube or any Google property or any Amazon property. You just listen in the native podcast experience you already enjoy. Right from us to you. Yep. Um, so I'm going to give a plug to uh, podcastapps.com and specifically Podverse because it's the GPL app out there. I mean, it's 2024. You deserve a podcast client that can uh, you know, take advantage of all the stuff we've got to give you the best possible experience. Yeah. You know, if Apple users are getting this stuff, it's time for you to get this stuff, right? I mean, if the Apple users on their built-in Apple podcast apps are getting this, it's time for the rest of us to get this. And we see you guys out there. We know you're listening. We appreciate you. And don't forget, we're also looking for your ways that you host NextCloud. How you given it a go before? Not not a bad idea to tell us how it's working for you too. And, and also, got to know if you're nixing it up and which way you nixed it. Any links, much appreciated. And then any tips for GPL developer burnout, like Mitch. Any tips you have around that? Please boost those in. We really appreciate that. And of course, you can also go to LinuxUnplugged.com/slash/contact. I think we're live at our regular time next week, right? All mm-hmm. that stuff's normal. Nothing really changing. We're kind of just locked in for a bit, I think. So same bat time. Bring your next cloud setup, and we'll see you there. Yeah. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a few weeks of uh, of regular times and productions, and then we're off on the road. Catch them while you can. Yeah. Now, Coda Radio is going to be on Tuesday live this week, if you want to join me over there. We put that at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And then this show will be back on Sunday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Of course. Of course. At jblive.tv. Links to what we talked about today, that's at linuxunplugged.com slash 548. You'll also find our RSS feed, the membership links, the mumble links, the matrix links. It's all over there. It's a website with links, and they're useful. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode. See you right back here next Sunday. Sunday.